What's up, guys? It's Josh from Baseball Lifestyle. Just wanted to give you a quick preview of what the next few episodes are going to be like for you guys. Uh, we did some interviews during the 2021 All-Star Weekend in Denver, Colorado, with some MLB legends. Uh, the first one is going to be with Brian McRae, a 10-year veteran of the league, uh, played for the Royals, Cubs, Mets, Rockies, and Blue Jays. Uh, he had some amazing insight to share with us, and it's going to be a great episode. So strap in. Thank you guys for listening, and enjoy the episode. Here it is. Welcome, welcome to the Grounds Crew, a podcast covering all things baseball. We're brought to you by Baseball Lifestyle. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Grounds Crew. We are live from the MLB Players House in Denver, Colorado for the 2021 All-Star Game. Uh, We got some great shows lined up for you. Uh, While we're here, we got some amazing interviews with some MLB legends. And uh, our first one to kick us off is 10-year MLB vet Brian McRae. Brian, thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for having me. It's good to be out and see people and... uh... Yeah, we were talking a little it's bit before. Normal. Yes, that that normalcy coming out, having some parties, having some fun. It's definitely a different vibe. It's nice. It's like a kickoff to normalcy again. So it's been good, and and we really appreciate you taking the time out to come and talk with us because we were saying it before. We're just guys who like baseball. You're you're somebody who's great at it, and uh, you know we want to get that insight for the people who listen to the show and follow along. So thank you for coming. No, thank you for having me, and it's always good, you know, talking baseball and. Uh, being in an environment where you know, baseball is, is king and uh, everybody is uh, excited about uh, what's not only going on here, but uh, about you know, the rest of the season and uh, going into the postseason and then and, uh, you know the draft coming up and, yep. and all and all kind of uh, all kind of uh, neat things like that. So it's a it's a different time because there have been a lot of changes. Some of them have been COVID related. Some of them have been just basic changes that uh, were probably on the map yeah. mm-hmm. but uh, were accelerated because of what's going on over the past year and a half but uh, I think that uh, you know, it, it's exciting looking towards the future of what uh, some of the guys that uh, we're seeing are going to be able to do and how they're going to bring light uh, more light to the game and, and bring more people uh, uh, to the game and, uh, and showcase their abilities. Yeah, we were actually talking that in uh, a car ride. We were saying the uh, the MLB All-Star Weekend is the best All-Star Weekend, and it's not close. And the single best event is the Home Run Derby, and I feel like it, it stood up. Dunk contest in the NBA has kind of fallen off. The NFL, uh, they moved their entire system because they're like, nobody's watching, so we're going to have a week in between the Super Bowl, so we hope more people get it. So this weekend's been a great thing always, and they've made it even better by having tonight's the first night the draft is All-Star Weekend. Yeah. You know, so. And I think then they do something earlier in the week with high school players that they had Yeah, they done. had the All-Star game yesterday, I think it was. Or two, two days ago. Or yeah, something. Yeah. Days so ago, they're, yeah. they're doing, they're adding some things and making a buildup to the draft a little bit, a little bit more, mm-hmm. and you know the draft was in early June. Yep. yep. For umpteen yeah. years, and, yep. and now it, it's moved back. So that's that's helped. I think college college baseball. For I, sure. I was mm-hmm. uh, able to see uh, some games in Omaha for the College World Series uh, a few weeks back, and just you know, I, I just think everything that the sport is doing is going to benefit in the long run trying to you know they're saying well how do we 
I don't think you need to bring fans, but like how are you adding absolutely adding new fans because yep. the, the fans that are baseball baseball fans they're they're always there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the ones that are on the fence, what do we need to do as a sport to bring them over? What can we do to entice them to to watch more, to go to more games, to to be invested in it? And I think some of the things that you're seeing may not in the short term but in the long long term Mm -hmm. they may be able to you know bring those people Mm -hmm. to understand all of us in this room understand why we like baseball yep yep and we can go to a game and we don't need the bells and whistles and the things between innings and the hot dog races yeah and all that but it's more about bringing more people getting awareness to more people to the sport, and I think us, the purists, we have to understand that. Too. It ain't yeah. about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think we get upset about that because we look at it from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How we want it, and it, it's changed. The, the, yeah. So that's a perfect segue. has changed. Yeah. That's a perfect segue to one of the questions we wanted to ask you. Who do you think, like, whose game do you respect right now? But also I guess I'd ask is, who do you think is bringing excitement to the game in a good way? Who do you think is bringing attention to the game in a good way? Because mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of different, you know, personalities and things in the game. Who's somebody to you right now who's really, like, bringing that to the game of baseball today? Well, I think, you know, I'm kind of spoiled in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And I get to watch Sal Perez play, okay. Salve Perez yeah. play every day. Yeah, And I think... He's taking his game to another level. And the energy that catchers bring. Yeah. You know, on the other side of the state, you have Molina. Yep. And, you know, St. Louis, Kansas City, you have two catchers. One is about the end of a career and should be a Hall of Famer. And another one that I think if he continues for the next three or four years putting mm-hmm. up the numbers that he's doing, and offensively he's getting better. Yeah. Uh, Sal Perez – you know he's he's going to be a Royals Hall of Famer, yeah. And he may be a guy that gets his number retired by by the Royals organization, and he's got to be in consideration here pretty soon with with some Hall of Fame mm-hmm. talk. Uh, um, so I, I just I like catchers because if you have a catcher that has good energy, usually your ball club has good energy. Absolutely, yeah. And those guys are the spark plug. Of their of their team, if you see a catcher with no energy, no life, mm-hmm. that's usually how the team rolls. Right. And watching Salvi, and the way he plays the game, his enthusiasm for for the game, and how playing a demanding position, offensively, he's getting better. Mm-hmm. And some catchers with that wear and tear on them, their offensive numbers start to slide. But his offensive numbers over the last two or three years, especially since he missed that year with his, uh, um, I think he had uh, not ACL, but uh, he had Tommy John surgery yeah, and that's he, right. he missed yeah. a year. UCL, yeah. He he's been. If you look at that point, and maybe it was good that he took that time off to yeah. to heal mm-hmm. in. But since then, he's been a lot better, consistently o- offensive player. He's always known for his catching and known to do some good things in the first half with mm-hmm. the bat. But the last two or three years, offensively, you know, they're they're struggling this year, and they're, they're they got off to a hot start, and it was mostly because of him. 
Yeah. And it wouldn't be a whole lot of fun to watch the Royals right now going through what they've been going through over the last month and a half to two months mm. if Salvi wasn't in a lineup. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you were talking about, like, the energy he brings. And he absolutely, he's infectious. He's smiling all the time. And he, that definitely resonates throughout the team. Um, like, we're, we're big Mets fans, right? So we got Lindor brought in, and he definitely brought that level of energy and excitement. And you can see it goes through the whole team, and it's helped bring the, the club up a level. Um, and I think, like, throughout the game, you're seeing a lot more of, like, the Tatises of the world, the Ronald Acunas, um, who just bring that energy for the team and get everyone excited. And they do some crazy stuff and are, a lot of showmanship and, and they play the game at an elite level, and I'm just like curious, like what you think about that, and like how they're going about, like kind of how they play the game and how the level they're at. I think with the amount of games you play, if you can't create that, then it, it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. and, and I see a lot of guys now that try to create their energy, and. You know, you had last year where there was no fans in the stands. Yep. So that had to be tough. Mm -hmm. Tough on the majority of players that didn't know how to bring that. They were, they wanted the fans to bring the energy. Right. Now you have to have to bring the energy, and I think that's how you can get through a full season without having a lot of highs and lows. Is just there's there's something that you can bring every almost every day, mm -hmm. and and that's energy. You may not hit every day. You may not run the bases every day well, you may not feel well every day, but there's no reason for you not, you can fake energy too. Mm -hmm. And that gets you through some days. Yeah. And there, there's no, there's no reason why more times than not that you can be a high energy guy and bring that, especially if you're a guy on a team that's looked towards for leadership. Mm -hmm. You can't let the other guys on the team know when the game is beating you down. Yeah. And that's an acquired skill that some guys don't have, but they're they're looking towards you. You know, your younger players, guys that may have just come over in a trade or mm -hmm. a free agent acquisition. If you've been there for a while, they're looking towards you to guide them of how, you know, in Salvi's case, how Kansas City Royal acts. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's one of the last holdovers from the back-to-back -back World Series teams in fourteen and fifteen. Mm -hmm. So how's how you react when we lose eleven in a row? Yeah, yeah. You know, do you take days off? Do you not work as hard? Do you, you know, do do do, do those type of things? Mm -hmm. And and, uh, and I think that's where energy brings more to it than just the numbers that you see. Is because you have other guys looking towards you and they're like, well, Salvi taking a day off, I can take a day off. Yeah. You know, does mm -hmm. Salvi take that bats off? Does he not come out to stretch? Mm -hmm. Every day, does he show up late to the ballpark? Is he still doing his early work? Is he still doing things behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. Those are things that don't show up to the normal Every casual. Person, right. yeah. Yeah. But, but, it, but it shows it shows up when you know that other guys are following in a negative light. You know, yeah. a, a bad energy guy can be almost. As detrimental to a team as a good energy guy can be, Tim can bring up. Yeah. yeah, I would say I would say a bad energy guy is, is bad hard body to language. overcome. Yeah, right? bad body bad language energy. and bad energy. They're like an energy vampire. They just yeah. suck suck it mm -hmm. out of you. And you can see the teams that have some energy vampires because when things are going good, it's they easy. go real good. And they have too many highs and lows. And a lot of that is because you have guys that don't know how 
to just be as even keel as possible and mm-hmm. they let their emotions and what they're doing personally affect other things where they so it's they interesting. have a bigger role. You yeah. you chose a catcher as as the guy and like I love the choice. One of the past episodes we were talking about was do you think that the, the rules and the way the direction of the game is going currently, that it started to pull away value from the catcher spot? Because we were talking about Yachty, like, he he's a, absolutely should be a Hall of Famer, and he's an incredible player, but one of the biggest things was his defense. Well, now guys aren't stealing anymore, right? Like, the, And that's taken away that aspect of the game. Like, the, But there's still a lot more there that catchers do. Yes. Absolutely. So that's what we they talked control, about. They control a lot more... As far as your whole pitching staff, yep. You know, d- does a pitcher or pitchers does your twelve or fourteen man staff do they trust that guy? Yes. Yeah. And, and you've seen guys who don't trust their catcher, right? And now there's a personal catcher for that pitcher mm-hmm. because he and and how does that play on each guy's mind? Like, absolutely, we we agree entirely, right? But do you think the rules themselves? have had an impact on that position and I think young kids look at it and guys want to move off and they want to go to other things because it's like ah well you know I, catching can't, is hard. I can't be flashy yeah. no catch catching is very hard yes and there's a misnomer of you just put kids back there they can't do anything else mm-hmm. but to catch you have to be you can't be selfish nope because your stats are going to take your offensive stats at times are going to take a back seat to taking care of your pitchers Mm -hmm. and blocking balls and getting beat up and just the mental grind. grind, If you are really in tune with your pitching staff and you want your pitchers to succeed as a catcher, there's some games that when they're over that you're you're mentally spent. Mm -hmm. Your mind is mush because you tried to get as much out of this guy as you can, and, and maybe more, and maybe he went three innings. Yeah, and then you got another guy coming in. You're trying, it's like, so you're trying to mentally pull out something out of three to four, or sometimes five guys, and that has to take something out of you if you're really into what you're what you're doing. If you're just back there putting down fingers and catching the ball, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. People talk like quarterback is the the hardest position because of all the variables that you have to map. But like catcher's got to be right up there, because like you're saying, you got a 12 to 14 man pitching staff, but you also need to know the tendency of the hitter who's at the plate, what he's doing, who's coming in, what's our game plan. It changes day to day. You got 162 games, and sometimes you got to make some things up. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes your pitcher has nothing, and you know it, mm-hmm. and you have to make him believe that he can still get big league hitters out when you're thinking, there's no way in hell we're gonna get through this. Yeah. How do you feel as a player, right, sitting in center field, right, when the pitcher doesn't have it? You can tell. You How can tell by the feel? swings. I think we're going to have a long night. <laughs> and that's the thing, too, is as a catcher, your night doesn't end until the last out is recorded, and you still have to grind. You still have to do everything, whereas somebody in right field is just watching the walk. Well, I can take some pitches off. Yep. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's like the ball's not hit to me. I can. My mind can wander. Yep. I can listen to the guy yelling at me mm-hmm. ten rows up. Yeah. You know, I, I can I can float right. for a little bit during the game. You know, there could be a 10-minute period over the course of a game where my mind is not really on every pitch because mm-hmm. there's nothing going. 
nothing on. Ball's not hit to me. Yeah. All the, a catcher can't afford to do that. Yeah. He can't take his. I can. I can talk about my at bat to myself out there. It's like mm-hmm. you know I can do this, this, this. You know whatever. Catcher has to focus on. Let's get this guy out. Let's get through this next inning. Let's let's work this situation. Mm-hmm. So it, it's tougher because they don't have the luxury to do what almost everybody else on the field can do when they're on defense. Mm-hmm. So I like this as a as another segue. So I, I agree entirely, and, and that makes a great point that your mind can wander when you play other positions. You were a switch hitter in your career, right? And it's difficult to also be able to maintain a swing on both sides, how things are different. Right now we're all watching Shohei Otani, uh, and he's not just – it's it, switch hitting is difficult. All this he's pitching and hitting. What's your take on Shohei as a player? Like, what's your what's your your opinion of him so far? Well, my opinion of him was formed early, just from all the struggles that he's he's had coming getting to this point. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are just seeing the finished product or close to the finished product right. this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. But let's go back three, four, five years ago when. He struggled. He was trying to do it. The team was trying to find a way to make yep. it work. Mm-hmm. Then he blew out, yep. and he missed some time, and he had to work his way back. And so that that, that to me shows his his dedication, his work, yeah. work mm-hmm. ethic. Because there's some guys would have tried to do this, and it's like, okay, let's let's no, let's go ahead, scrap and, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's not it's not going to work. And they want to be there where he is right now in one year. Yeah, and it doesn't right. doesn't it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're trying to do two things at an elite level in the highest league that there is in on the mm-hmm. face of this earth. Yeah, you know some guys can't even do one thing. Yeah, and you're you're trying you're trying to do two, and we're seeing now those three or four years of trying to piece it together and find out what works for him. Mm-hmm. And how he can, you know, stay away from injury, stay in the lineup. Yep. You know, he's not playing a position. He's more DHing when he when he's in the lineup and and pitching and DHing a, a little bit. You know, it, it's it's been a long a long trial, mm-hmm. a long and, trial and, and to I, get here. I think that that's a great point. And I, I say to to young guys who are like we see D one guys who are like, hey, you know, I want to get to the league, and it's like. You know, the difference between the super elite guy is how often can he be an MLB level player, right? You look at minor league guys, it's like they might be an elite guy one out of five at bats, right? The elite guys are elite guys, you know, two out of three at bats. And it's closing down that gap and making it that you're that consistent player more often that really separates a lot of guys. So watching Otani doing it and how he's able to do it has been super, super impressive. But yeah, that those times and the things that go into that, that, that's a great point. And his resiliency is something that, that really me. opens up, you know, who he is and what he's doing. Well, I want to see, too, a full year, a finished a finish product. Yes. And what are the rigors of going through a Major League Baseball season? You know, his first half has been phenomenal. Yep. Can he maintain it? Can he maintain it? And is it a one-year thing, or can he maintain some some level like this? You know, can he do a four or five-year span? Yeah. And stay healthy. Yep. And then can the Angels 
somehow piggyback what they have with him and Mike Trout. And Randone. And try to find a way. To help them. To get to October. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we that, agree. That's what we've been saying all along. It's like they have these very talented pieces, but for some reason it just never, the finished product is not October. Right. It's just, what what is the reason behind that? And The and best players in the game, every three or four, you should have a shot at going to play some October yep. baseball. Yep. And they really haven't. It's, yes. a, it's a travesty that we don't see Mike Trout in there every right. year. And, we, and he was having a great year with Otani, and mm-hmm. Rendon was a little banged up, and you're like, okay, at some point in time, they're going to have three guys in a row who, who are real great hitters, and then Walsh, their first baseman's really risen up. They've got no pitching. And like they, they, They're hovering around 500, and you literally have a guy who's everybody's comparing to Babe Ruth, and you're only around 500. You have two of the best players in the game. Yeah. And you are 500. And there's not too many teams that can say they have – two guys in the heart of their order that are considered the best players in the game. Yep. And that are that dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not even like, you know, they're like, if Trout's healthy and playing every day, he's like... The guy. He's yeah. in the top He's in top two or three. Yep. Yep. And Otani is, is there, what, what, what he's been doing. If he can mm-hmm. do it consistently, he's close to that level. Right. So, yeah. And we we hope they figure something out. I'd love to see them make a trade, do something, because Trout mm-hmm. is going to come back. Rendon is hopefully going to get healthy because we want to see the best players play. That team has enough to sneak in. I just hope that they'll do something to help and assist because it, it's been crazy. They need to be on the October stage. That team needs to be, at some point, while these guys are in the prime of their career, I'd like to see them play. Yes. Play some meaningful baseball games in October mm-hmm. and see what they can do. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to see Trout in the playoffs and let him let him cement a legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to see him at 40 in the playoffs. Yeah. 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 DH and Yeah. I want to see him now. Right. Like even switching to even NBA, Chris Paul, he's in it for the first time and it's great and he's a great player still and he's a guy who's a Hall of Famer, but he's not who he was. And it's like if somebody could have figured out for him earlier in his career Hey, you have a transcendent talent. He has all this stuff. Go all in on him. The Angels, it's like you have a, a the generational talent of generational talents, and you locked in to what appears to maybe be another generational talent of generational talents. Please support those guys. Mm-hmm. A- and do it for your fan base. Do it for the players because their legacies will do be tied to winning. The yeah. league would be better off. For sure. For sure. Like, listen, you were talking about who's pushing baseball forward. Otani is definitely making it more exciting. You see, like I couldn't tell you last time before this year that Stephen A. Smith was talking about baseball on ESPN. Yep. And now he's every day he's like, I don't know who this Shohei Otani is, but he's not from this world. Like it's just insane what he's doing. So switching gears for the for what might be the last time. So when you were a kid growing up, uh, what got you most excited by baseball? What got you into it? So I I, I just enjoyed the fact that. I could go out to the ballpark, you know, and just just play and play and with your dad. Play. Um, my dad started off with the Reds, so I I was um, around a pretty pretty good group of guys, and I didn't yeah. even know it at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, before the big red machine started, I was around, you know, Sparky Anderson, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, you know, Lee May, you know, Dave Concepcion. I was around. Those, yeah, you know, some of those, those, those real good teams before 
they made their run. Mm-hmm. And I think my dad went to World Series with the Reds twice, with the playoffs with them, uh, I think three, three or four times. I got to be around that. So yeah. seeing how successful they were, seeing how they worked, how they worked together as a little kid, that was something that left a mark on me to, you know, this is how you go about playing ball. If you want to be successful, this is what you, what you do. And, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in the that Reds culture and watching those teams as a little kid, that's, you know, that, that was – that was baseball to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Cincinnati Reds, and they were all around the same age. They all came up. Pretty much all those guys, for the most part, came up through the Reds' farm system. They were drafted, developed, signed by the Reds, and then got to the big leagues together, and the manager let them play, and yeah. they went out and did their thing. Mm-hmm. So now, like being around that and your, your dad being in the game and everything else – did you, when you were a kid, were you a fan the same way other people are fans? Or was it like, these are my, like, my dad's friends? Like, did you feel. I was a fan more of the work ethic. Okay. That I saw than anything else. Okay. I like spring training better than regular season. I, I like the process. Gotcha. So I was a fan of the process. I like to go to the ballpark with my dad early and watch the early work that the guys did. Mm-hmm. I like. You know, seeing seeing that spring training, guys on the field early, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning before their 10 o'clock or 11 workout, whatever it was, you see guys doing whatever they needed to do to hone their skills to get better. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I was a fan of – I'm a fan of the process. I'm a fan of you get better doing things when nobody's paying attention. Yeah. And then it just happens on the field during the games because you've done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times before. So I just I was able to see the work that they put in and able to be around guys that had a good work ethic. Mm-hmm. And then watch it win. And then watch yeah. it win, too. Because right? it's something you can watch it and they go out there and not can't right. do anything. Yeah. But, yeah, so it, it was left an impression on me because I saw what they did behind the scenes. I saw – the work put into it, I saw them being rewarded, yeah, and I saw them being very successful. And then my dad getting traded to the Royals, and then after three years with the Royals, them being successful, pretty much from '76 to '85, mm-hmm. with the same type of mentality and drive that I saw those Reds teams having. Was there somebody, like, either when you were growing up watching them play or maybe while you were in the league as well that you saw, like, things that they were working on early or just their work ethic in general that really stuck out to you that you like to take some of the things they did from? No, it was a lot of guys I just saw. You you get to the ballpark early and you would see, like, Rusty Koontz, first base coach with the Royals, he was an outfield instructor. Uh, with the Mariners in the in the early 90s when I first came up. Mm. And just watching him work with the outfielders and the drills that he did with the outfielders. You know, I sit there 
And even though I was on the opposing team, I would watch what they did, and then I would try to incorporate some of those some, some of those things. Right. So that was, you know, just watching. You learn from people that are successful. Mm-hmm. You learn from people that you feel that they're doing things that can help you. Mm-hmm. And um, the big key there was just observing, asking a lot of questions. I wasn't afraid, even if somebody wasn't on my team, to seek out mm-hmm. advice and ask questions. You know, behind the batting cage, talk to Kirby Puckett, talk to you know, just just ask questions. What do you mm-hmm. think in this situation? Talk to Dave Winfield about certain. And, and and what I respected was those guys were ready to give up information. They mm-hmm. wanted you to come talk to them. They were happy. Even though you may use it to beat them or beat their yeah. team, they were happy to have you ask. They wanted the right. younger players. They wanted the younger players to ask. They wanted to. They wanted to give that advice. They mm-hmm. wanted to. You know, they, they wanted to pass on what people had passed on to them. Right. And you know, all, all those things were. They were things early in my career. Because I didn't know how long I was going to be in the big leagues when yeah, I got yeah. called up. So I just wanted to. I was mm-hmm. yeah, getting the early, yeah. grab as much as I can, take the good stuff, throw out the bad stuff. But I wanted to just learn right. and watch. And, you know, we go play Detroit. I go, what are Trammell and Whitaker doing every day? Mm-hmm. You know, how early did they come out? What are they doing? You know, and we go to another city. What are these guys doing? Mm-hmm. I'm going to come out early and see what they do. And, you know, talk to Sparky Anderson. Talk to, like, all those things mm-hmm. were were what I did early to just try to get as much knowledge as possible and watch and learn and listen. Mm-hmm. So we're going we're gonna to have you do something for us because uh, i got to ask, when's the last time you opened up a pack of cards? Oh, I opened up. I had some cards, some complete sets. Okay. That I opened. They're like from 86. 87, some complete top sets that I opened about three or four months ago. Okay. Oh, wow. So you, you got but your I don't, I don't collect anymore, no. but I used to as, mm-hmm. a, as a kid. You just had them from the 80s and just hadn't opened them? I just had them in my, wow. they're in my basement, mm-hmm. and I was cleaning out stuff in the basement. And I had, one set still has wrapper on it like this from like 89. Wow. And then two sets, they're complete sets. They're in the long, long boxes. Right. 89 is not Griffey, is it? But they they don't have the uh, they didn't have wrapper on it, so I just opened them up mm-hmm. and look look through them. They're not in the. I haven't. I don't know the last time they probably had bubble gum. The last time I opened up uh, a pack That's of cards like that. Gum. So we're we're gonna we're gonna ask you if you can pop pop those open right. and tell yeah. tell us like go through kind of for yourself. Like, did you ever get to open up a pack of cards that had your rookie card in it? I don't think I ever got to go through one with my rookie card in it. So like, how have cards changed? Since like like you just said like the the bubble gum like how do the cards feel different like I I know they used to feel so flimsy the pictures bit the picture is much better yeah. yes yeah the the picture quality is uh is is a lot better um, they're better pictures because there were some bad pictures that they <laughs> had of guys um, more of these are in action of games yeah mm-hmm. not the standstill guys. Yeah. The taking a knee with that on the shoulder on the yeah. first or third base side at uh, Yankee Stadium or 
or Met or Shea Stadium because all of them used to look like they were taken in New York because I guess that's where the, the photographer was. was. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So right off the bat, the um, the quality it's a lot better quality. Now some of them even have you get autographed ones sometimes. Mm-hmm. They put yeah. like a little jersey. You get the jersey ones. You can snag a whole bunch of they stuff got now. Tons of different, like, now um, I remember when I first came up to the big leagues. There was a bunch of companies. Fleer, Upper Deck, Donruss, all the deck, like yeah. Tops was the one that everybody knew. Yeah. But there was all these there's probably twenty or thirty companies at one time that were, that were doing, doing them all. were doing cards and it got to be a little bit too much. It was lucrative for the players because our licensing money yeah. Yeah. that we received every year was good. Yeah. And you know, guys were getting almost as much in licensing money younger players as much as their salary for the year mm-hmm. in just a licensing check. I remember my first year in the big league, I think the minimum salary was 90, 90,000 and the licensing money that you got was 70 or something like that. <laughs> that's, that's good work if you yeah. can find it. That's yeah, for sure one time. Yeah. So the licensing money was good, but I didn't think the quality of the card was good. There were a lot of companies yeah. out there. Yeah. A lot of people were shelling out money um, for licensing products, but I think we saw where that, yeah, where that led mm-hmm. to. Now there's what four companies that do it. Only a few, yeah, yeah, and less and less all the time because it's become big business. Like I don't know if you even pulled a rookie card out of any of those. No, I don't um, think there was many rookie cards out of there. To- but you pull a you you pull a Tatis rookie card, it might be worth fifteen hundred dollars now, mm-hmm. right? And it's become a massive business. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, you don't collect. Have have you like? kind of heard or seen or looked into the the card collecting aspect now no i haven't looked into it but i know that the memorabilia i collect memorabilia okay, okay. i don't do cards anymore okay but i'll do um like i have a seat from old comiskey stadium okay. and nice. memorial stadium in baltimore and you know do i do some unique things like like that and i know the memorabilia business especially with COVID. you know the autograph requests that i get over the last year have been more than any other been time. Any, any other time. And a lot of people say we're sitting at home and have nothing to do. And so, you know, we're writing to players to see who will return a, return a card and a stamp, you know, uh, return a stamp envelope. And I think that the boom that's probably settling now with COVID was just that people were bored. Yeah. yeah. And it, this was something that they could do and they got back in the memorabilia and the memorabilia thing spiked and everything went, went crazy for a while. So with the young kids, what I'm seeing is, you know, they, they kids know the stock market and it's easier than ever. You can download an app on your phone, buy stocks. But what young kids have seen is, you know, they can take birthday money and they can buy a, a card, right? And sit on it for nine months. A guy becomes an all-star and the card's 10 times more valuable. And now kids are starting to realize like, hey, there's a business here and it's like an introduction to finance. And it's been crazy to watch because mm-hmm. like my, my, my nephews and kids, they you know, play MLB The Show and they see these cards that they open up and they now see the intrinsic value and they exchange it and they're like, well, this exists in real life. And now guys are doing it and it's exploding and, and it's really changed how kids absorb the game. And it's why I think that, you know, stuff like this with you coming on here and getting to talk and kids getting to see all this history of baseball and all the stuff that's going on, 
trading cards being worth a lot of money is going to just make kids more interested in following the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. Yeah. Hopefully I, they, they want to do it. Like, I, I, I collect the cards, but I also watch the game. Yep. Right. And I know a lot of kids, of friends of mine, their, their sons, that they collect cards and watch the game. Yep. Mm -hmm. They're in it for just the... The, the financial. The, yeah. And so, you know, you hope that they understand and learn about the game and not just look at it as... It's just the money. Right. I'm right. going to get these cards. I'm just going to sit on... You know, no, Because no, there used to be some good stuff on the back of cards that you can learn about players. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, and I think that it's always been, like, when when we were younger, I'm sure when you were younger, this was the marketing for the player. Right. Right? Because there wasn't Instagram and all this other stuff. Cards was the marketing. Right? So it wasn't just about... Right, like the the luck, the money, the collectibles aspect of it. It was who is on who who's new and upcoming. Right, right. Who's a great player that I should know about? Because if I'm not watching on TV, I can't see the things that are going on. Like I'm on tape delay. I'm mm. not watching games on in, in in on the West Coast. Right, so I might not hear about a guy. Right, because he's just a, a little name in a box score that I look in the news. Well, then I get a pack of cards. I see this guy and he's killing it. Wow, wait, wait, wait. this guy's good. Then I want to make sure that I watch when that team's in town. I circle it. It's coming. So I think it's always been that, you know, even though there's a money to, to it, it does start to be that you know names. And then right. fantasy sports gets into the same thing. Mm -hmm. Kids start knowing what the numbers are, what everything is. And, yeah, when they're 12, it might not mean anything. But when they're 22, all of a sudden they're baseball fans. You know, they are going to games because they're like, hey, you know, like I know more of these guys. I've been doing this for a long time. Like, and I think that's what, you know, it will happen. Mm -hmm. And I hope happens because this year has been a really fun year for baseball. Yeah. From our vantage point, the teams look like they're having more fun, letting the players be themselves. Everybody's getting an opportunity to push the game forward. We're getting more behind the scenes stuff. And they're, they're, they're doing what some of the other leagues have. So I, I, I hope they ride this momentum and it allows people to realize how, how fun and how amazing the game of baseball can be mm -hmm. because – you can have stuff happen that's never happened before. Right. And we know it's never happened before because stats have been tracked forever. You know, so everybody knows Babe Ruth, and then you see Shohei Otani, and that's who the comp is. You can conceptualize that this is special. Pay attention. Right? And then that draws people into the game, and then it's up to, you know, everybody to talk about it the right way and, and keep pushing it forward. So, yeah, it's an amazing time. We appreciate you coming on today. I really enjoy your insight. Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you. If you could leave... One thing, like, what's one thing you hope happens in the game in the next five years? I hope the rule changes that have been in effect or talked about being in effect and some of the things that they're doing in the independent leagues and minor league baseball, just don't mess with them. You okay. Know, like the, uh, the step-off rules, like uh, mm -hmm. pit, pit, pitchers picking off and, and things like that. That's a, that's a part of the game that you're taking away – some skill yep. from a guy. You know, if a guy has a good move, don't take that move, don't take that skill away from him. Yeah. That could help him get to somewhere. That could help him make yeah. some money. Like yeah. you're, you're taking things away from guys that may not be beneficial to some guys staying in the big leagues, providing for the family, making money. You're messing with guys' money when you're doing some, some of those things. Uh, yeah. I don't like the seven inning. Uh, I mean, I'm not just, I don't. I don't mind the seven inning doubleheaders if you yeah. want to do that, because um, we did that in the minor leagues. Yeah. You can do it in college. Do it in minor leagues. Yeah. You can get conditioned to to, to do right. it. I don't like the 
extra inning rule. Okay. Yeah. It's like, why are you going to play nine innings one way and then change it another way just to get it over with but faster? It but don't other sports do that? Right? But why do we have to be like other sports? I'm, I'm with you. The only thing I would change, and we've talked about this, the only yeah. thing I, I would change, like, I think that they – I, I'm, I'm for the rule. How about a tie? I, I'm, I, see, I hate ties. <laughs> I'd, much hate rather, ties. I'd much rather have a tie than ties. a guy on second base. I can't. It's a, the, what's the whole thing? Ties like you know, kissing your cousin. I don't need any of that. But if we're just going to get the game over with, but so just play, have a tie. We, we want to do like a, a halfway point. Halfway so, point. So give me a couple more innings of normal baseball, and yep. then if it's like we're getting into the fourteenth inning, cool. Let's go to twelve, yeah. where everything's normal. Then if you're going to do it, we get a tie and we do points like they do in uh, hockey. You want the point system? I don't want the guy on second base. Man. Yeah. So. I think the only way to make it fair, though, is if you're going to put a guy on second base, everybody should start with the same guy. So, like, it, it, in, if I happen to end the game and I my three hitter is on second base and my four hitter is coming up and the other my, my seven hitter is on second base, my eighth guy, that is distorted because it's not equal. You want to start it, your ninth hitter is up on second base. Your leadoff hitter is coming in the game. At least we've leveled it out that both sides have equal opportunity to then do it. And now it's back to skill and not randomness and luck if you're going to do it. If you can't win the game in nine innings, and if you want to do it that way, just have it a tie. Ooh, I love that. So I, we're gonna end, I love it. We're going to end this. Hey, guys, in the comments, in what we have below, we need to know – do you think baseball should go to a point system instead of having extra inning rule where a guy starts on second? Okay, big question. Need you guys to answer. And we appreciate you guys for listening. And, again, we appreciate you coming on today yeah, and uh, speaking so much. with us. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Baseball lifestyle. That's my lifestyle. <laughs>